0: Day by day, I'm getting better and better. Day by day, I'm getting better and better. Day by day, I'm getting better and better. Sounds like a mantra, right? Something you might write on a sticky note and put on your bathroom mirror. It sort of is. And this is called self-induced conscious auto-suggestion. And that's just a fancy long-term for a mantra if we're being honest. And you can think of it like a motivational rosary. People in the early 1900s used to repeat these words while counting mechanically on a long string with 20 knots. This was what self-help looked like back then. And just like today, the leaders in the self-help space had an almost cult-like following around them. We're still obsessed with self-help, though the movement has grown exponentially and taken on many different forms. Benjamin Franklin wrote about personal advancement in his autobiography, calling it The Project for Moral Perfection. In 1989, the bestseller, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was released. And today we've got misogynistic, self-proclaimed self-help gurus and alleged sex traffickers talking about how you're more manly if you hit women. But seriously, aside from the Andrew Tates of the world, self-help is meant to be a space that helps people improve and grow. And for some, that genuinely does happen. Catherine on Wit and Delight said that self-help books changed her life when she started reading them. She understood how to create healthier habits and in her words, unlock the key to living a more fulfilled life. Catherine finally feels the joy of learning again, the importance of prioritization and the freedom from anxiety. Psychology Today released an article saying that the genre of self-help can also help people think about their goals with a big picture sort of view. It's motivational and helps people think of realistic achievable goals and that's awesome. So then why the hell am I making an episode about it? Unfortunately, self-help isn't all flowers and roses and butterflies. It's pretty easy to imagine that the idea of pushing yourself to move forward can be taken to a dangerous extreme without too much effort. Then being constantly aware of your shortcomings is going to mean that the people deeply entrenched in this genre might have low self-esteem. Day by day, I'm getting better and better can easily transform into, I have to be better. I need to be better. I'm not good enough the way I am. Why aren't I better yet? Am I not good enough? Undoubtedly and unsurprisingly, self-help has a dark side, a money-motivated, greedy, and dangerous side. But where's the line? Where does self-help become harmful? Well, that's what we're gonna take a look at today on Multi-Level Mondays. Diversity is an advantage. If you grew up poor, you have medical conditions, you have poor internet access, let that be fuel to create success for yourself. When the mind's quiet, then all that there is, is awareness, or consciousness, or whatever, if the word doesn't You are crystal clear what you want, you are about it, and if you are taking massive action. Can... Comparison is the death of joy. Not only is comparison the death of joy, comparison is the death of momentum. You are more profitable when you're unhappy. That's a pretty depressing thought, right? But it's kind of true when you think about it. If you're unhappy, you're more prone to buy the latest book, the latest tool, and join the latest unsavory community that promises you a quick fix. But if happiness were that simple, easy, and external, then we'd all be joyful all the time. The reality is that the mounds of self-help books in the nearest Barnes and Noble just can't make you happy. Nothing can, but their covers and descriptions may still promise you success and joy if it means you'll shell out another 15 bucks. And sure, there's nothing wrong with believing in a motivational quote and reading who moved my cheese before bed, but there's no denying that much of this industry wants to make a profit off of desperate people searching for answers. The self-help book genre alone is worth more than $800 million. And while some of them are about doing more, others are also about not giving a fuck. And those two things sound almost contradictory because there's no single way to help everyone. Wellness and self-care products benefit from this too, promising to turn you into the best version of yourself that you can be, and I'm looking at you, Goop. Unfortunately, the promises made in the genre are pretty damn lacking in actual evidence. Here's a quote. We hear claims cloaked in scientific language, like the law of attraction offered in The Secret Is, according to its author, Rhonda Byrne, a natural law as real as gravity. And I'm sorry, but no matter how powerful the law of attraction is, you really can't tell me that it's on the same level as gravity. Motivation and confidence are great tools, but they're subjective. Gravity is not. And the deeper you dive into this whole law of attraction thing too, the stranger it seems. Slowly but surely, you go from a law of nature to a conspiracy theory-esque type situation. Rhonda Byrne, the law of attraction queen, has explained natural disasters with her theory, stating, quote, In a large-scale tragedy like 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, etc., we see that the law of attraction responds to people being at the wrong place at the wrong time because their dominant thoughts were on the same frequency of such events. So that's, um, wow. (laughs) That's a statement. Uh, I guess the victims of terrorist attacks and natural disasters just didn't have the correct dominant thoughts. I need to know, how exactly is this spiritual, meaningful, meaningful, self-help in any way. It's purely disrespectful, ignorant, empty-headed. I mean, it's a lot of things, and I would argue that self-help is most certainly not one of them. In the incredible form and human being that you are and having the experience that you are, but from a place of knowing that you are the infinite being, that you are immortal. But as this medium author argues, as it's a totally unprovable unprovable argument, ridiculous beyond proof, you might say, it's the perfect scam too. It makes Rhonda and her believers entirely blameless. Oh, her book didn't work for you? Well, I guess your dominant thoughts weren't on the right frequency. Maybe try to stick a radio antenna in your head to fix that. Oh, and as for the science behind self-help, that can get pretty shady too. For example, one of these techniques is called the TUMO breath, and in it, you lay down and breathe rapidly until you feel lightheaded, fairly simple. YouTube videos on being productive supposedly claim that the tingling sensation you'll feel is your seven chakras being forward, aligned. Letting go from the mouth. <sighs> Three. But it could also be that you're trying to force yourself to hyperventilate and you know, you could be lightheaded because you're just not getting enough oxygen to your brain. That's a possibility too, but you know, hey, let's, let's, let's not bring logic into this. Now, I'm not saying that tummo breathing is total bullshit. If it helps you meditate and calm down, then that's ultimately what matters at the end of the day. Studies have in fact shown that Tibetan monks can raise their body temperature with meditation, though I'm sure that these monks are probably a bit more experienced in this technique than the advice you'll see from a YouTube self-help guru. Unfortunately, many of the books within this space just aren't scientifically based and probably classified as pseudoscience more than anything. In my opinion, it reminds me of a placebo effect for books. Some of your success is probably all in your mind and dependent on your confidence, but definitely not all of it. According to the Skeptical Inquirer, many self-help books are like modern day oracles replacing, quote, older sources of guidance, such as organized religion. Plus, just as there are potential benefits like achieving your goals, there are some potential dangers to these communities surrounding self-help too, like hopelessness, the suppression of real sources of influence over values, outcomes, and an unrealistic worldview. Other studies show that people who read self-help books actually have higher levels of stress hormones and are more likely to have depressive symptoms. It's like the age-old question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Or in this case, the self-help book or the depressive symptoms. It could be that people experiencing stress are seeking out these books and the books aren't necessarily the cause, but at the bare minimum, the study does seem to show that the mountains of self-help books aren't truly helping anything. If you want to be healthy, confident, and stable, the best approach is talking to a professional that can give you one-on-one advice, not generic fluffy words sold to millions. Quote, the self-help content is often oversimplified and sweetened with a false sense of hope and meaningless pats on the back. This is why so many people feel they can relate to these books and feel happy while reading them. It's essentially toxic positivity. Positive thinking, optimism, hope, all of those are great things, but toxic positivity, false hope? Well, that's the self-help specialty. Like, I'm sorry, but you just can't simply manifest success by reading a book that's meant to entertain millions of people and not uniquely tailored to you. How insulting would it be to walk up to someone experiencing homelessness and tell them to just envision themselves in a warm bed? Like, yes, having a goal and a vision for your future is important, but let's not treat self-help like some miracle cure. And frustratingly, that is how some self-help books are treated. One writer on Medium, Mason Saber, said that he bought a book on quitting smoking purely because it was hailed as a miracle book. And when he wasn't able to quit, he blamed himself and felt even more like a failure. Despite that experience, Mason wanted to believe that if he dreamed and visualized hard enough, these gurus could deliver on their promises. He became addicted to them, looking for that feel-good burst of dopamine, success, and encouragement right there, just out of reach, but closer with every page. Mason wrote, quote, "'For me, self-help was a way to not deal with my grief, with the fact that I was burning myself out and not looking after my mental health. I thought I was doing something about my problems, but I was giving myself false hope rather than dealing with the issues at hand. I was avoiding them. I was masking over them with this dopamine hits and getting nowhere." That is what self-help is. They're selling hope, selling dreams. The only people getting rich in the self-help industry are those spooning us self-help guides. And to be clear, no, this isn't everyone's experience with self-help, not at all. However, If this was warned against in 1992, then why hasn't the self-help industry found a way to be more individualized? Are these gurus really all about profit instead of progress? If you've never had a reading from a real psychic, try us right now for free. Five of Swords is next to him, and that means that he is away. Yep. Did you think Cleo wasn't gonna see that? Oh, I knew you were. Oops, you go girl. people trying to solve your problems need more help than you do. This comes from a former self-help guru herself. Michelle Goodman explained that after experiencing the new age movement in the 1990s, she started becoming involved with the non-fiction trade. She wrote a career guide in 2007 and soon began speaking in public, giving TV and radio interviews and growing her social media following. To make it big, she learned how to act more like a guru, to take authoritative photos, monetize her expertise, invest in a media trainer, and offer expensive coaching packages. Her book, as she was told, was a calling card. Michelle had been given the key to success. People asked her for help. The recession hit and some did turn to her for answers. She could give them one size fits all platitudes, take advantage of the desperate people coming to her and cash in, quote, I could embrace a life of gurudom, assuming a slicker, more polished persona, selling what I knew and faking my way through what I didn't. Or I could essentially return to the quieter, simpler life of a freelance writer. Essentially, I could go Deepak Chopra or I could go home. I chose to go home. This is just Michelle's experience. It may not be representative of every self-help guru out there, but even if it's only true for a few of them, it's pretty concerning. Desperate people give what little they have to gurus in the hopes that they'll find an answer, new motivation, and a way to pick up the pieces. But in actuality, these kinds of gurus seem incredibly self-serving. You're another hefty paycheck. Some gurus don't even put the bare minimum worth of effort into their hollow advice, like Jay Shetty. He was exposed for plagiarizing all of the self-help and motivational advice he ever gave, basically smacking together quotes from writers, poets, and philosophers, then claiming the words were his own. No, he wasn't inspired by them or even quoting them, but stated that it was from his own genius mind. Jay was a monk. He seemed so spiritual and earnest. So people believed his absolute shit when he didn't deserve the praise whatsoever. Also, even though I seriously don't like Nicole Arbor since that whole Dear Fat People video she released, I'll at least give her due credit for exposing this fraud. Wrong. I don't care if you were on Ellen. And praying on vulnerable people who need a spiritual pick-me-up is really fun. He's a bad person. There's a whole joke about takes one to no one in here, but I'll leave it at that. Aside from what gurus offer, which is the advice mainly, there are also those that offer techniques and training that are sure to save your life. Maybe. And that's right, I can't possibly talk about self-help gurus without referencing one from Goop, Wim Hof. Hey guys, I'm the Iceman. Very cold, no, very warm, hearted. You guys remember Wim Hof from the Goop Lab, right? I haven't spoken about him in forever, but he's also known as the Iceman. He teaches you to take deep, fast breaths and swim in ice without being affected. His YouTube channel, which has over 2 million subscribers, features a whole variety of breathing and cold exposure techniques. He also talks about his morning routine, happiness, and healing, claiming that his breathing method has helped a child with a heart condition. On the other hand, Dan Rockwell claimed to experience a seizure from these breathing methods in which you over oxygenate your blood. Though he said that he may have done the method incorrectly despite being taught by a certified Wim Hof instructor. So how legit is the science behind his breathing and cold exposure? Well, as it turns out, not very legit at all. I know, surprise, surprise. The European Council of Skeptical Organizations says that Hof is pretty careful with his claims. He won't say that his method can cure cancer, but he toes the line saying he can improve the immune system. His Wim Hof method as a whole though really doesn't support this. Science-based medicine explains that sure, hyperventilation can reduce the body's response to inflammation, but that's about it. His guru status isn't deserved simply because he can sit in a bucket of ice for a long time. Plus this over oxygenating thing isn't a good thing either. Quote, hyperventilation increases the exertion of carbon dioxide but that's not a good thing. It produces a temporary state of respiratory alkalosis, an abnormal disruption of acid-base homeostasis. When hyperventilation stops, the acid-base balance returns to normal. If hyperventilation persists, the person will pass out and the body's normal compensatory mechanisms will be able to take over and re-establish homeostasis. Basically, yeah, you might make yourself pass out, but your body will probably say, okay, let's quit this weird over oxygenating thing and just go back to normal, okay? So thank you for your normal breathing functions for stopping you from potentially killing yourself. This is why he advises against this method when diving or in other situations where passing out can be fatal. According to SBM, there have been reports of death resulting from this. And while some people may find the Wim Hof method beneficial, there's not a lot of science behind it. Remember, placebos are quite powerful after all, and this sounds like one of them to me. Placebos are not always a sugar cube, just keep that in mind. There's such an abundance of quack self-help gurus that listicles about their deceptions are pretty common too. Apparently John Gray got his PhD from a diploma mill. Tony Robbins has been accused of sexual harassment and assault by nine of his followers. Deepak Chopra thinks AIDS patients only get sick because they think they will. Yoga guru John Friend ran a secret sex coven, and Mark Manson stems from the gross pickup artist world. The list goes on and on and on. Okay, so we know that the message is pretty often repeated, feel good and without much substance. People teaching it are often a bit shady that could seriously take some of their own advice, but what's the actual harm of self-help, is there? Well, that's what we're gonna take a look at right after today's sponsor. Oh, and hey, do you not want these ads? Do you hate ads? I don't really like ads, but I need them to support the channel and my livelihood and my team's livelihood. But if you want to support the channel in a different way, maybe consider checking out Patreon, patreon.com Illuminati. There's a whole host of different tiers from anything from just an amazing Discord community all the way up to custom letters with a hand paw print stamp from Casper. This also includes ad-free episodes. And of course even bonus episodes, which we're starting to revitalize Prism of the Past, if you guys remember that series by any chance. Uh, we're starting to revitalize it inside the Patreon, and I think I'm gonna make it a Patreon exclusive. So if you need your fix of Prism of the Past, or you know any of those other amazing tiers I just mentioned, make sure you head on over to patreon.com slash Illuminati. Oh, did you hear that sound? You know what that means. It's one of the best notifications you can receive. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment another business dream becomes a reality. Shopify is the amazing e-commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling some amazing merch, multilevelmerch.shop, or maybe you're selling other clothing, perfume, I don't know, technology. There's many, 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 many companies that use Shopify because it is seriously one of the easiest tools out there to get yourself started online. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. And Shopify covers every sales channel too, including an in-person POS system and including an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills or design code, which is super helpful because I'm not good at that. One of my favorite parts about the Shopify platform is actually their themes. And hear me out, I know that sounds maybe lame, boring, or an obvious answer, I don't know, but just hear me out on this. Long story short, themes on Shopify are essentially how you design your store. And it's these kind of built-in templates to help you start kind of adjusting and creatively changing how you want your storefront to look online. And when Shopify, when I started using them like years and years and years ago, there was only like maybe five or six themes to choose from. Now there's like 300. And this includes really amazing free templates as well as paid templates. One of my favorite ones is actually the paid template called Stiletto, I think. Maybe that's not what it's called. I I know it's bright yellow when you're looking for it in the store. It's like neon yellow is the original template color theme. And they just add so many integrated features and there's so many apps that can integrate in and just take your shopping experience just to the next level. And what's awesome about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, they're there to empower you with the confidence and control to revolutionize your business and take it to the next level. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash multilevel, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash multilevel to take your business to the next level today. Again, shopify.com slash multilevel. Today's episode is also sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. But did you know that it also only takes a few seconds to get Honey too? Because Honey, Honey, it's here to save you money. And that means if you go to add it to your laptop or iPhone right now, you could be done before this ad reads even over. And you know what else works really fast? Honey's deal finding abilities. And that's because Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds right to your cart. And using Honey is easy peasy lemon squeezy. All you do is go shopping as per normal on whatever site you're shopping on. And then when you go to checkout, the Honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons. You wait a couple seconds as Honey searches and if it finds a working one, you'll watch prices drop. Now I've said it time and time again, but Honey is the consistent breadwinner when it comes to saving money on pizza deliveries for Dungeons and Dragons nights. One of my favorite nights of the week and also the only really time of the week I'm ordering any sort of takeout at this point. So if I can save a couple bucks on it, I'd love that. And Honey always gets me there. And they've saved me a variety of money, depending on you know what coupons are available. I've saved 15%, it's given me a $20 off coupon. I recently got like a 40% off coupon, which that was bananas crazy. I don't think I'll ever get that again, but thank you. That was amazing. And it just finds it and whatever is currently available and it applies it and goes, hey, this one works. And you go, thank you, and you save money. And Honey doesn't just work on desktop, it works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. And seriously, getting Honey only takes a couple seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com MLM. That's joinhoney.com MLM. And I was like, you're right. I'm super freaking privileged. But also, I worked my ass off to have the money to have someone come twice a week and clean my toilets. And I told her that. And then she said, well, you're unrelatable. What is it about me that made you think, I want to be relatable? No sis, literally everything I do in my life is to live a life that most people can't relate to. Most people won't work this hard, most people won't get up at 4am, most people won't fail publicly, again and again. Now we talked a bit about this earlier, but self-help really can feed feelings of inferiority. The thing is, self-help doesn't really have a definitive ending. We're all a work in progress and actual monks or gurus probably know that enlightenment isn't something that just stops. You can always be better. You can always improve. You can always learn something new. And that's something that's actually really exciting about life to me is that there's always something more to learn. You just can't learn it all in your lifetime. And to some though, I understand that that can actually be a really terrifying daunting thought, but maybe an assuring one too. Like every day you can be a little bit better, a little bit more, a little bit extra just a little bit more knowledgeable, a little bit more something. Remember that mantra from the beginning? It is absolutely true, but it's not something that should be capitalized on. And unfortunately, when it is, there's so much that can and often does go wrong. For one, if you can make yourself better every day, you can also take steps backwards too. You are to blame for your failures to flourish. Sure, we all have setbacks. Progress is not a straight line, never has been. But telling someone struggling, someone desperate, that they're entirely responsible for their failure is a pretty dangerous game and it's not always true either. Sometimes we really are the victims of circumstances and mental or physical illnesses. If someone has severe depression and it goes untreated, imagine what may happen if they go to a guru like the ones we've discussed. Hearing you're responsible for your own success and it's your own fault for being unmotivated, I can't imagine that would be very helpful. You might just be pushing a hurt person over a ledge and making it worse. Instead of telling them to seek therapy and individual, professional, personalized help, just that's not in the cards because according to these gurus, they are the professional help. Despite of course, potentially not having the qualifications and just regurgitating yet another feel good message that might not even be possible to begin with. Quote, it is much harder for self-improvement writers to sell us on the idea that our lives depend on a larger social whole that we cannot control. After all, while you can pick your own to-do list and workout schedule, you can't necessarily pick your coworkers or your gym buddies or your elected government. But this is perhaps the core message of the new cult of self-improvement needs to balance. All that can be asked of us is to do the best we can in whatever given circumstance we find ourselves in. Sometimes we simply can't change where we live, the laws we have to live with, the family that stresses us out, whatever it might be. And no amount of self-help can change that. Not everyone that reads a book about not giving a fuck can actually afford to not give a fuck in their daily lives. But if you don't have the ideal, happy, picket fence life, then apparently you're to blame and you're the one who failed. Does this sound familiar? Because it sure does to me. I wonder where I've heard this kind of blame before. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. MLMs and cults. But let's start with MLMs. Not every MLM loves self-help and not every guru is an MLM but there is a lot of crossover. It's no wonder pyramid schemes adore these messages. It's what their entire company seems to stand for. Ignore the odds, ignore the circumstances that might actually make it impossible to thrive in the way we expect. You can do it if you just believe hard enough. Oh, and by the way, pay me $50 for that information. Maybe a hundred. Actually, just hand your whole wallet over. The Freedom of Mind Resource Center has spoken about these similarities and the warning signs to help you avoid them. For one, they use components of the BITE model, which is something I've talked about for years. It's absolutely a fantastic, fascinating, and very interesting model if you've never taken a look at it. Now, the BITE model is an acronym, B-I-T-E, and it stands for Behavior, Information, Thought, and Emotional Control. MLMs may use this to promote dependency through recruitment, financial manipulation, and the promise of large profits. In many ways, this is exactly how self-help works too. A leader is placed on a pedestal, you meet at conventions and seminars to hear generic words of hope and motivation, and both groups take advantage of people looking for some kind of guidance or sense of community. It's really no wonder that it's so easy to disguise a pyramid scheme as a self-help company. It's not as if the business models are as far apart as we may like to believe. This can make identifying bad actors pretty tricky too, like Rachel Hollis. She thrived in the self-help arena for a while, She wrote the book, Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing, hosted self-improvement conferences for women and was an overall supporter of MLMs. Rachel proudly spoke at MLM seminars and plagiarized quotations on her Instagram, seemingly a rite of passage for these gurus. But people took a while to see her as the hollow grifter she truly is. What might actually work, you go and look at her highlight reel to judge again very real life. These two things cannot compete. Comparison is the death of joy. Not only is comparison the death of joy, comparison is the death of momentum. Any excitement you had, anything that you were doing, immediately gets squashed when you compare it to someone. Eventually, after comparing the BLM movement to tomatoes and comparing herself to Harriet Tubman, Hollis finally started to get some pushback. Not only is comparison the death of joy, as she says, but I guess it's the death of her business too. Anyway, in her third book, Didn't See That Coming, she also supposedly shamed MLMers, which considering she built their wealth on exploiting them was a pretty bold move. Not a good one, but a bold one. In my opinion, it shows that Hollis never truly believed in what she was saying at these conventions. She just said what people would react to, what would make her money, what would get her hired, and that's about it. She kept people involved in an MLM, in a business that was likely draining them financially with sparkly, hollow promises. Girl, you should start apologizing. Now, while I hesitate to call all MLMs and self-help gurus a cult, some of them might not quite cross those lines, but there is no denying that they do share plenty of cult techniques. Some of them, like Landmark, Scientology, and Nexium, do seem to cross those boundaries, at least in my opinion. And it might be difficult to see that from the outside looking in. There are alarming firsthand accounts of this online. John Doe spoke about his experience on Unmistakable Creative, claiming that it started with a weekend workshop with Ross Jeffries. Eventually over the years to come, he attended a multitude of workshops, hired trainers, and spent about $20,000 all on Jeffries' message about getting better with women. It was a self-improvement group that stopped improving his life, but instead became his life. John said that the cult mindset around Jeffries does this in several ways. They load the language. In other words, use thought ending cliches. The leader, in this case, Jeffries, became an object of worship. Everything he said was on a pedestal and that philosophy became a way of life. Only people within the community could understand you because they were following the same lifestyle. The environment around John Doe isolated him from the outside world, much like a seminar room would. But what does it matter? Here, you're among real friends, right? In truth, the community was an echo chamber with diminishing returns, but by the time you realize that, it might be too late. Yes, there can be some benefits, but is it really due to the community itself? John Doe acknowledged that, though he did eventually meet women, he doesn't think it's because of the cult that made him a better person and not in the slightest. With many of these gurus, if something good happens, it's because they got you there, and if you fail, then it's because you didn't try hard enough. It's a super toxic mindset and it can very easily go wrong. The members of Nexium could tell you that. And while that might be a very extreme example, I'm not sure that I'd want to be in a lesser version of a dangerous cult either. A cult is still a cult after all. If people could just stop manipulating and brainwashing others with empty promises, that would be a little bit more ideal, but since that's probably not going to happen anytime soon, it might be worth it to ask yourself a few things if you're reading and interested in self-help. Are the people writing these self-help books qualified? Does the advice feel like a generic horoscope or genuinely helpful? Do you think less of yourself if you can't meet all the goals that are given to you? Maybe you have found a great motivational tool, but if you're not sure, it is worth a second glance. Ice baths, deep breaths, and inspirational posters won't work for everyone. So please remember, do what's best for you. You are an individual after all. But with all of that being said, that is where we're going to end today's episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following and subscribing to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. As always, I really appreciate you spending some of your time here with me today because I know there's a million and a half things you could be doing, and yet you chose to spend some of it here with me. So thank you. As always, very appreciative. Look forward to seeing you in the next one. Bye. Cheetos and watch pornography and I said well I do some of those things right <laughs> you know? and of course they do but what I it's like an athlete I built muscle over the years so that it's not that at Have you seen the movie The Secret or have you read the book The Secret? Now maybe you have heard of the law of attraction and you wonder exactly what it is and you wonder does this actually work? Does the law of attraction work? Reality is that which gives rise to thought. And as we trace thought back to its source, we realize it is also the source of perception. It is also the source of feeling. It is also the social interactions. That is just dissolving. Which we call was the just word, whatever was happening. like, it It'll be okay so, with that at all. Because yes. that's where, right? That's where you start and Absolutely. then and then it's sort of the diligence to keep noticing um who you are noticing awareness you know noticing